Welcome to the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Gross, Ironman champion, PhD in women's history, and founder and CEO of Feisty Media. I started this show because I wanted to cut through the BS of diet culture and fitness culture and actually learn from high achieving women at the top of their game who have figured out how to feel and perform their best at every stage of life. So I chat with experts, elite athletes, and leaders who have learned to succeed despite the massive gender data gap in exercise and medical science and product development. Every episode is filled with information, advice, and anecdotes that will help you fulfill your potential as an athlete, mom, leader, or business owner. And listen up. If you don't subscribe to our women's performance newsletter, you are definitely missing out. It's totally free. So head over to womensperformance.com and subscribe now. That's womensperformance.com. This podcast is a production of Feisty Media. Hello, Feisties. Okay, before we get started today, I just want to give a little shout out to one of our longtime partners who I spoke to just the other day. So it's top of mind, Prevenex. I, like I'm sure many of you, am someone who is a little bit skeptical about the supplement industry. So it's been super refreshing to work with Prevenex and the team there because I know I can trust their products because I know the people behind the products. I currently use their joint health and immune health supplements, as well as their vegan protein powder, which I also love. Um, So if you like not being sick and decreased joint discomfort, I highly, highly recommend. Okay, so today's episode, I'm talking to Dr. Emma Ross. This was such a fun conversation. She is an exercise physiologist and the head of physiology at the English Institute for Sport. Get this here. She led the British sports science team through the Rio and Tokyo Olympics. So she knows a lot about human performance. Emma is also one of the founders of The Well HQ, which is an organization designed to empower women in health, in work, and in life. The Well HQ recently released a book called The Female Body Bible about all things women's health. After the Rio 2016 Olympics, Emma said, Great Britain was described as a sporting superpower. We won more medals than ever and finished second in the table. It was exceptional, but how could we continue to improve? I realized, she said, that the answer wasn't in marginal gains, but by tapping into something more fundamental, the female part of the female athlete. So Emma and I discuss how the menstrual cycle affects our performance as athletes and as humans, and how we can use the information we have to be our best at every part of the month. We also discuss contraception, fueling, and everything she's learned working with high-performance women. If you're an active woman, this interview is not to be missed. Hi, Emma. I'm so glad that you're here today on the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, so we met actually briefly last week at the Female Athlete Conference. You know, I know a lot of people are really kind of curious, you know, especially our audience around like, what, you know, what what's the new information, you know, about um, women's performance? But what were some of your main takeaways from the conference? Yeah, I mean, um, wasn't it a good week it was uh, honestly I got there the first day I was there I went to the pre-conference like there was a day which was more clinical so it was more applied oh, yeah. I was nutri- yeah nutritionists clinicians mm-hmm. and from like nine o'clock in the morning till six o'clock in the evening I was like so focused and engaged I was like oh I'm never going to be able to like do this before three more days <laughs> I did I think I was slightly flagging by the last day but I, I've never been to a conference I've been to that conference virtually in COVID but never live and um just where all the topics are so you know so relevant to um my work but also really engaging speakers and um I think for me like the main takeaway I think there was two one one was I had a real overwhelming feeling that we've we've made progress and um I was in a sat in a Mm -hmm. yeah I sat in a female athlete conference 
must have been about six years ago in in the UK and it was a it was kind of a similar but smaller event and I was I just kind of at the time was a bit disappointed at the quality of the research because this was a field that you know we knew there was a gap to research in this space um and people were kind of rushing into it a little bit and going okay well that's great I'll I'll research females and they were doing it really poorly and so I just had this kind of like oh gosh this isn't going to do us any good but fast forward to last week when, you know, we just saw really, really credible, robust research. And I think for me, the main theme was how do we get this into the hands of coaches? Like whether we were talking about Red S or whether we were talking about return to play from pregnancy or whether we were talking about menstrual cycle and how to integrate that into, you know, coaching and training. There was so much conversation about how do we distill this from what is a research paper or a review paper of lots of research into the hands of coaches so that they can then, you know, use it in their practice. And that's so much more easily said than done. So there was some really great discussions. And we had some, I mean, in the UK here, we're just working with the, the FA um, in women's football. And um, we're about to roll out a, a sort of training course, kind of a half-day training course that will be mandated for everyone working in the Women's Super League and the Women's Championship. And that's that's kind of like a really good question. Like, should this stuff be mandated for women working with girls? Mm. So for people working with girls and women in sport. And and that's a great, that's a great question. Like, you know, we could and that and I really enjoyed talking with the sort of coach educators about that. Yeah. And so should it be mandated? <laughs> I think the I think the consensus we got because we had um there were some brilliant panels um on safeguarding and um keeping women safe in sport and about physical and emotional abuse and um someone's comment was that 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 training is mandated so a lot of coaches well all the coaches have to go but when they're there they're not engaged and they're kind of right. you know doing it as a tick box kind of having a snooze in the back right. and it's like how can we avoid that how can we make it so feel so important to do this but um I think I was talking to Julie McCleary and she she was kind of saying look we need to professionalize coaching slightly more and in different countries it's different mm. um in some countries you have to have a degree just kind of to coach anyone in the UK we rely really heavily on volunteers um and we have coaching right down at grassroots and our sport is quite formalized so coaching is still quite formalized but it's it's not professionalized uh, unless you work at the elite level and that makes kind of mandating training and and having kind of a minimum standard of practice really really hard mm. and then the question is well if you put that in would you lose all the coaches because you know the volunteering they're giving their time if you put these barriers to entry in would they not come and actually we just had some great discussion and I think at the moment I would like to see I would like to see training mandated around women and girls because we know that there's a duty of care issue like we had lots of presentations about red s about bone health about you know the impact of not looking after girls in sport on their long-term health um, and if we get it wrong, even at the grassroots, if we get it wrong, there is really important implications for women's health across their lifespan. So I think at the moment, I would like to see something mandated. Um, and that means lobbying for a change of policy, because, you know, that's a big change to ask for. But that's I would like to see that. Yeah. You know, as someone who and I'm sure you're the same, like it's kind of in the business of distilling information you know on on our side I think a lot of our listeners are actually athletes or just kind of like lifelong people who are like lifelong active and we're trying to take the information from places like female athlete conference and and distill it down but did you at some point because I I that was thematically one of the things that kept at some point I felt like just like putting up my hand and going like hey, like there's all these resources, you know, like I know you all wrote a book. Um, we have a podcast. There's lots of other people doing great things on the internet. Like um, how do you see the Well HQ kind of positioned in in regards to that like distillation of of like, information, I guess? Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Because um, the we had the academics who were doing brilliant research and we had some coaches in the room who were, you know, really at the coalface with the athletes working really hard on performance. And and neither of them are incentivized to kind of like the, the academics aren't really incentivized to distill their research right down to the coach level and the athlete level. And the coaches and the athletes are far too busy to, uh, you know, to kind of go into the journals and read these papers and then try and like, um, you know, unscience yeah, speak it. Figure and, out what it means. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> 
And so I think there is a there is a big space for, you know, things like your podcast, things like our work, where we're trying our very hardest to kind of bring the evidence and what we know from the research and distill it down into something that's really usable. And I think that's one of the lessons we've learned at the well, because that's that's essentially the space we tried to sort of occupy that mm-hmm. that translation. Mm-hmm. Um, and something we've really noticed is that the the work you have to do to take the research and make it usable. It's not just a case of saying, oh, I'm going to take out, you know, the complicated words. I mean, that's but... really patronizing for the end user, right? It, <laughs> it's actually like, as a coach, I'm seeing this athlete twice a week. Like, what the heck am I going to do about menstrual cycle or sports bras? Or like, what what bit of this comes into my scope of practice? And what exactly does good practice look like? So, and I think that's the, that's the really important bit that we are missing. But like you say, there is, there's lots of good stuff going on, but it's like connect, it's like connecting it all. It's like an electrical circuit. Like if you connect it, then it will be amazing. Yeah. It's hard. It really is hard to connect those dots. Like recently we created an, an online course about fueling for female athletes. Right. And we had like an exercise physiology piece. And then we had like a culture body, you know, body image, diet culture piece. And then uh-huh. we had the nutrition piece, but actually like, and we had three different experts on those things. But then actually when we looked at it and we're like, oh, we need to connect the dots on this. So like, well, we're not really sure how those dots connect. Right. Like how does like what we just learned about exercise physiology, about um, perimenopause or puberty, the things that are in the physiology section, like, yeah, they connect somehow to nutrition. But we're still at that place where like there's not like a there's not like a groundswell of information about like how we're just trying things and seeing how they connect. Like, do you find that in your work as well? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I think like sport sport and fitness it is quite a nice playground when you if you've got enough information like if you you can play around with your you know with your body your responses and as an athlete mm. if someone says oh you know like training you know at this time your menstrual cycle might do that we don't really know but you could think well what's the harm like I could try it and I could play and I could I could see what my response looks like so I think there's we're in this nice space where we can we can kind of play around with what we do know and see if it works without almost the pressure of going god i you know like i need to do this right and it will definitely work um but yeah i think i think partly it's that all of it comes down to perception and behavior and that's a, kind of a real hu- the human element of it isn't it so um and i think we can sometimes get lost i know there was a lot of talk at the conference around the menstrual cycle and um actually some it swung quite in some sort of echo chambers that we exist in probably it's swung quite far the other way so we went from never talking about the menstrual cycle not considering that hormonal rhythm at all to you know I got an email just this week from someone who said oh you know I firmly believe that you know we should all be training you know along with the menstrual cycle and um with that focused on that and I'm like no like the cycle sinking people like way over far like yeah (laughs) we need to we need to lay in the middle ground which is for me which is like in obviously integrating it into our practice and our conversations but you know it's a bit like you know sleep is another very important biological rhythm but we would never train specifically based on the quality of sleep we did had the night before or you know like we we just would integrate that information into into our context of of how we feel so yeah, so I think that, um, it's an interesting space because sometimes, yeah, having just kind of the physiology data then allows people to kind of get excited about something and then and then look look at everything through that lens. Um, yeah. Well, and I think it's interesting. I did want to talk about menstrual cycle because that that does interest so many people, right? And I think like even when we saw that, I think it was in the last day there was a research paper showing that like. The, the, it was like the top four things that athletes were were interested in learning more about. And they were all related to menstrual cycle or, or oral contraceptives, uh, et cetera. Uh-huh. Right. And so like, there's a reason for that, I think, because like a lot of us know almost like we realize that there is an effect between our cycles and our exercise performance. Um, and so it's, it was, it's kind of disappointing. I feel like when we're hearing back from the researchers, like, oh, but we don't know anything yet. We don't know enough, even though that's probably realistically where things are at. Right. Like, so what, like, what do you think? Like, I think, you know, that playoff between individuals experience, right. Like I know I'm flat a couple of days right before my period. If I'm trying to do like something long, lift something heavy, like, are there starting to be trends that emerge 
um or yeah where are we yeah I mean the academics are conservative and 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 rightly so like because they you know in their world they need like a a critical mass of evidence and we just don't have that because they just it doesn't exist yet We're, we're still building on it we're definitely seeing trends and the more research papers that that come out like the more we're like oh that's that's like adding fuel to that sort of idea so to give you an example um there was a really nice poster at the conference which was about um it was about high speed running in match play training in football mm-hmm. and it was and, and that's a really interesting model because um rather than saying like how strong are you like what's your maximal voluntary co- contraction which doesn't change across the cycle we just don't have evidence to suggest that it does like your the the capacity of your muscles doesn't change now your ability to tap into that strength might change based on how you feel. Like you say, if you feel really flat, if you've got a migraine, if you've got bad period pain, you aren't going to want to do a one rep max or a PB. But but we broadly know at the moment that things like VOT max, strength, power, speed don't change across the cycle as determinants of performance. We do know that how people feel changes. But and, and that's the interesting bit because the high speed running in training model that's self-selected pace right when you're running around a football pitch or a soccer pitch you're and you're trying to sprint all out that's the you know you're putting in as much effort as you can and then we're recording that as how much you're you know how much ground you're covering and how much high speed running you're doing and that followed a pattern across the menstrual cycle that kind of lined up with what we think is happening with the physiology which is um at the end of the follicular phase when estrogen is really high estrogen is is good for motivation to move it's good for um uh like it's anabolic so we think it's helping with muscle recovery and and all of those things added together make that a really good time to exercise and when you do something like a small-sided match where you're choosing whether and when to run fast you end up doing more high-speed running at that time and then it slowly peters down and is the lowest in the premenstrual phase so I think those sorts of studies are really interesting because they kind of follow that idea that there are times of the cycle where we might feel more motivated feel more up for it feel more energized and times when we won't um and then there's also research to show there you know that that kind of follicular phase, late follicular phase when estrogen is present, that we might recover better. Um, there is that yeah. that idea that if we strength train more in that phase, we might get better adaptation. Again, we, we've only got probably about half a dozen studies that, that are looking at that, but the majority of them do show an effect. And again, there's small sample sizes, so that so the academics are like, oh, not really sure yet. And training studies are really hard to do with large numbers. But you know, we do we do have some information. I, I think it's really easy to say, oh, we just don't know enough. We mm-hmm. we know tons, actually. We really right. do. And right. uh, you're like, we managed to write a book and a big chapter of it is on the menstrual cycle. And some of it is just what we understand about the hormones themselves. So, you know, when we think when people are trying to talk about the hormones and injury, now we don't have good enough evidence to be very definitive about whether there are times in the menstrual cycle where clearly that the the hormones are having an impact on injury we do now have um kind of observational data from studies which say injury prevalence is higher at the before ovulation and that fits with the theory around estrogen and how it might impact collagen in the joints but also what we don't know is if it might be linked to behavior so estrogen makes us want to take more risks so when I'm in a match situation is that going to make you go in for a tackle you know like so we don't kind of know why yet Mm. But we are seeing patterns that are around behavior and motivation. And and I think that's really interesting. And I think we can sort of not be confident in that, but we can, you know, lean into it. And, and really, and as athletes, we can certainly say, you know, does this feel true for me? And if it does, like, what can, how can I adapt my training and, and my kind of tracking of my cycle to, to help me get, get the gains? Right. That's, that's so interesting. Do you think, or are, are there trends that show ways that we can mitigate some of what we would consider the more negative effects of the menstrual cycle, like around ovulation or just before menstruation or even during menstruation? Like, what do you recommend for athletes? Yeah. And I, and I think, cause when we do talk about menstrual cycle and performance, I think people skip ahead to that whole, like, could we train in line with the cycle? Will I adapt to strength 
way better and for <laughs> me if you got right? <laughs> yeah it's it's hugely isn't it it's like going to the sort of marginal gains before you've laid some really good foundation and for me the foundation is do you track your cycle do you know what your experience of your cycle is and then on reflection are there any parts of your cycle which you feel like are holding you back from being able to show up you know in your training session on your gym workout and and be the the version of yourself you want to be and if there are what are you choosing to do about it? And if even if we only got that far with every woman who was active or trying to produce sport, I think we'd we'd like there'll be a game changer because I still meet elite athletes, you know, at the highest level of sport who are who are, are struggling two, three days a month. So and 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 it always shocks me because I'm like that we know so much about their bodies and how to manage their joints and their nutrition and everything else. And yet we're not putting enough effort into helping them mitigate the symptoms of the cycle because I think we do have good evidence about some diet lifestyle exercise factors that can help and and depending on the symptoms and depending on the individual it will vary but I think we know we can use micronutrients to um, help with menstrual cycle symptoms so we know that magnesium comes out really well when it's either studies of period pain or PMS or menstrual migraine uh, we know that vitamin E, vitamin D, calcium. So we know that diet can play a really important part. We know that gut health is has been linked to menstrual cycle symptoms and estrogen metabolism. So getting rid of estrogen when we don't need it anymore. And if you don't have good gut health, actually your body tends to send it back into your system, which then hmm. creates an elevated level of estrogen. And we know that has knock-on effects, heavy periods, bad period pain. So gut health, our diets being broad, including vegetables, like green leafy vegetables and nuts and seeds and and all the things we kind of know, like, but that forms a really good basis. And I, and often I think even when trying to manage symptoms, we we skip forward to what's the supplement, what's the, the shiny thing that I can use, the one tablet. And it's like, are we sure that sleep, diet and exercise and stress management are nailed? And if they're not, those things have a huge capacity to influence our experience of the cycle. So it's boring because it's slow and it's like you have to be intentional about the things in your life that, you know, like eating well, exercising, but not too much, um, fueling well enough, uh, managing stress because the hormones of of stress, cortisol, um, you know, really interfere with with other hormones and other hormonal systems. And that can knock your menstrual cycle off balance. Um so unfortunately like some of the really basic stuff is critical here yeah yeah it's interesting now I'm hearing bits of like what my next question was really is like the intersection between menstrual cycle symptoms and low energy availability like where where you start to get symptoms of low energy availability and it can cross over or even make I've heard you can tell me that it could make some of the menstrual symptoms worse is that has that been true in your experience well yeah so we have I would you know caveat by saying we have no evidence but (laughs) yeah certainly certainly um the the athletes we work with what's interesting about um, low energy availability and relative energy deficiency in sport is that we often see athletes when their periods have stopped, they've had a stress fracture, you know, they've had some big red flags. But what we've noticed when we've been doing um, investigative work with with athletes who have kind of got unexplained underperformance or they just don't feel quite right, we see that they're on on a pathway towards those big red flags but actually what's happened is their cycle has become anovulatory so their ovulation has stopped because of underfueling and that's the first you know when your brain is kind of deciding to switch off your reproductive system to save energy the first thing it will do is stop sending the signals to ovulate and if we don't ovulate we don't produce one of the main two hormones of the cycle progesterone and so we suddenly went from a cycle that's balanced between estrogen and progesterone it's so one where progesterone doesn't exist and estrogen is just kind of allowed to rule. And estrogen is amazing, but un- untethered, it can be, you know, quite problematic in some of the symptoms. Um, so I, I could completely see a situation where uh, if you're in relative energy deficiency and you've knocked your menstrual cycle out of balance, that could really affect your cycle symptoms. And actually, even though we know that... Um, periods often disappear in those with energy deficiency if you are not ovulating but you still kind of got an estrogen you know profile you might have heavier periods because estrogen is the the hormone that builds up the lining of our womb uterus and progesterone is the thing that 
says, okay, stop now. And then both of those hormones leaving our system triggers the shedding of the uterus for a period. If you haven't got progesterone saying to estrogen, stop building the lining of the uterus, it, it can kind of make a really thick um, oh, uterine wall. Okay. And, then, and then that's a heavier period with heavier period right. pain. Yeah. Oh, that totally makes sense. So interesting. Yeah. Like, these things are so interconnected, right? Like we need to eat yeah. enough of the right things. Like, and like you said before, like getting all those things done first before we start thinking about like, should we be training differently at different parts of our cycle? Exactly. You know? Yeah. And there, you know, there are things we know about, uh, you know, on the day of symptoms that can help. Um, but again, unless we've got those pillars in place you know that's a really good place to start those foundations but I think even so I um used to work in Olympic and Paralympic sports so we used to work with a a long jumper called Jasmine Sawyers and she quite openly came out in 2016 to talk about her really debilitating period pain Mm. and it had stopped her from achieving her goals at the Rio Olympics then I think the following year she had to pull out of a of a world champs because when she arrived at the competition first day of her period and she she just was doubled over in pain and she tried a lot of things she when she first started speaking about it she said I haven't tried enough because I've been embarrassed to kind of pursue it so that was her kind of saying right I'm, I'm done why why is something that happens every month getting in my way as an elite athlete um but I met her a few weeks ago and and I sort of said how's it going and she said oh I I've um I, it's amazing I found this tens machine um, that I was sent and TENS is like electrical therapy you kind of sometimes people have it when they're in labor and it basically it sends very small electrical shocks um, into kind of around your abdomen and they're meant to, it's the theory is that it interferes with the pain signals so basically our nerves are electrical signals and by sort of zapping some more electrical signals in the pain signals get disturbed and for her that was a game changer she said oh my goodness, it's absolutely revolutionized my life. Now, I know women who have tried TENS and have said, it feels like someone's just prodding me in the tummy and it's really not for me, which is also what makes this a complicated situation because not one size fits all, not one solution. But I think for her, it was going through the list of what works. The hormonal contraceptive pill didn't work for her. Taking painkillers proactively was all right, but still didn't really do it. Um, heat yes fine but she was you know and she had to go through all of these strategies and and she finally found one that that really works and I think that's what I'm really passionate about telling athletes and and women is don't just go oh well I've got period pain that's that's my lot and oh well heat and um yeah ibuprofen don't work for me kind of keep exploring keep exploring the strategies until you find one that feels like it's doing something As a lifelong runner and triathlete turned CrossFitter, I am stoked to announce that the athletic eyewear brand Tafosi Optics has joined us as a partner here at Feisty Media. Tafosi sports glasses hit all the marks for athletes. They're shatterproof poly bicarbonate, so the lenses not only reduce glare, but also offer scratch resistance, which I 100% need. They stay in place when you are moving. The hydrophilic rubber nose pads actually get more grippy the more you sweat. So they are secure and don't slide down your face even when you're running in hot conditions. No matter what sport you do, Tafosi has shades for you. Whether you love tennis, fishing, pickleball, running, cycling, or just hanging out on the beach. They are super reasonably priced, which I love, so I can have multiple pairs that go with any outfit. And of course, feisty listeners get a special discount. So head on over to tofosioptics.com and use the code FM20. FM as in feisty media to get 20% off your order. That's FM20 at tofosioptics.com. I'll put a link in the show notes to make it easy for you. For decades, running shoes have been researched, tested, and designed for men. Brands have relied on the shrink it and pink it approach to sell male shoes to female customers. That's why we are so excited to be working with Hedas. Hedas designs athletic footwear for women that elevates performance, safety, and style. Hedas unlocks the science behind women's biomechanics through dedicated research, creates better shoes for women that support their longevity and performance, and establishes new design standards to promote transparency in a male-biased industry. 
Head us have a lower ankle collar to reduce rubbing. A breathable mesh toe box to allow for ventilation and to allow for female toe shape. A special kind of plate in the midsole to keep tired legs going. A narrow heel cup to reduce heel slippage and take the pressure off our Achilles. And a rounded instep to create a snug fit. Hedas has three shoe models designed for different sessions, the Alma Cruise for long runs, the Alma Tempo for training days, and the Alma Speed for pushing the pace. I've personally been running in the Alma Cruise and I love them. It's the shoe I always wanted and never knew I needed. The fit is perfect in every way. You can get your own pair of Hedas at Hedas.com and use the code FEISTY20 for 20% off. That's FEISTY20 at Hedas.com and it will all be in the show notes. Endurance sports should be accessible to everyone, right? That's why we are so excited to be partnering with Motive. Motive is one of the fastest growing training apps in the world today with thousands of amateur athletes signing up every month and a nearly perfect 4.9 star rating in the app store. You are not a template and your training plan should not be either. Prepare for running races, triathlons, cycling events, duathlons, or swim runs, however your season schedule shapes up, and get training written by some of the best coaches in the world in each discipline who know what it takes to help amateur athletes reach their goal on race day. The app takes the training written by those experts and then creates the most optimal training plan for your schedule, abilities, and goals. Plus, the training is fully customized to your race schedule, how much you can train each week, your current abilities, and the goals you want to achieve in your race. You can use the app for free as long as you want or get all the upgraded features from the app for just $19.99 a month. But as a feisty listener, you can sign up at mymotive.com and use the code FEISTY for two months of full premium access. That's right, you get two months of premium for free. So you quite literally have nothing to lose. So head over to mymotive.com, M-Y-M-O-T-T-I-V.com and use the code FEISTY, F-E-I-S-T-Y. And on a personal note, I know the founder of Motive and he is driven to make triathlon and all endurance sports more accessible for the athletes who care about their performance, but who aren't quite ready for a full-time personal coach. If that sounds like you, definitely try the app for two months for free. You literally have nothing to lose. And what about you brought up um, contraceptives there? What do you, what do you recommend for athletes? I I can remember I was a triathlete and this was a big conversation. Like we would, we would sometimes use uh, the pill to knock off our cycle so that we wouldn't get our period during a race. We would, some people thought the pill was amazing. Some people hated it. I personally had mood shifts with it, eventually ended up on a hormonal IUD. Like, <laughs> what do you recommend? Yeah, yeah, it's, is isn't it? Again, it's so individual and that's what's really hard because, and also it's kind of a long game because when you go on to a new hormonal contraceptive, you kind of need to give it three months to decide whether it's working for you. Now, some people will know straight away, but usually doctors say three months. And if it's not, then you've got another three month journey into fight. So it's really, you know, I, really frustrating. But I think there is no, there is no right or wrong. And, and athletes often say to me, is it, is it good to use the pill or not? And I was like, well, it depends on why you're using the pill, because it's really good to stop unplanned pregnancies. And, you <laughs> right. know, if that's like your priority here, then do that, because, you know, that would be a biggest performance limitation. Um, but you're right. Lots of athletes use it for symptom management. Lots of athletes use it to make the cycle more predictable. Um, and I think as long as it works for you at the moment, we don't, you know, we don't have enough evidence to say, oh, gosh, don't ever use the pill. I think what we've got into a situation is where where women are being given the pill and they're not making informed decisions. So A, they don't know that that it's going to have symptoms and side effects. So they're not, you know, and they and they're not weighing up whether that's worth it. Um and and they kind of, you know, don't know they have choice. 
um, often. They're you know, given the first thing that the GP gives them and they're like, oh, that's the pill I'm meant to be on. Whereas, um, as you found out, there are, there are different things that might work for different women. I think the IUD is a really, the, the hormonal IUD is a really, for me, kind of great approach to contraception because it gives you hormonal contraception. It keeps your womb really healthy because it's delivering progesterone locally to your womb. But the evidence does show that you actually have sort of a more natural cycle in the background. So your body is getting like a, as you know, sort of monthly dose of estrogen and progesterone. And for me, that would be like the perfect scenario. If you need contraception and you want to use and, it, and you know, you want something that, to fit and forget. But you also want your body to benefit from the amazing hormones that our menstrual cycle gives us. Then, then that's kind of a cool, like you know, thing that covers ticks all the boxes. Mm -hmm. If it works for you, now we know that some women will have the IUD fitted and have really, you know, horrible um, physical or emotional responses. But yeah, I I think actually some of the interesting research that I was um, listening to last week um, was this idea that we don't really know the long term effects of hormonal contraception for athletes. Um, but some of the work coming out of a Spanish research group was showing that um, I think it was markers of bone turnover seemed to be compromised in those women who were taking the pill. Mm. And so I asked them all, have you done any have you done any like bone density scans on women who have taken the pill for a long time? And she said, yes, that they've done uh, scans in women who have taken I think it was for five years or more. And they did see decreased bone density in I think it was spine and another area on the DEXA scan. Wow. Because we know estrogen is so important for bone strength, like bone building bone. And maybe the oral contraceptive pill, the synthetic version of estrogen just isn't quite hitting the mark. Um, and again, this is very, uh, you know, early kind of data. And I wouldn't any, want anyone to be like, oh, I'm just going to stop using the pill. Like we make these decisions for many reasons. And no one has developed, you know, osteoporosis by being on the pill. But it's really is that's a really interesting avenue of research to pursue, because if there are some types of hormonal contraception which actually do impact bone strength and bone health, then for athletes, we would want to know about that. There is one, um, the depot injection, where where there was a couple of really important research papers which showed that it did impact bone strength um, and bone density. And they didn't know whether that was reversible once you stopped using it. And for that reason, I know when I was working in the English high performance system, the doctor's uh, steered athletes away from that type of of um, hormonal contraception so the more information we have the better the better we can make informed decisions right and when are we going to have I mean when are we going to have the male pill <laughs> because that's maybe yeah, you don't know right? about this specifically when is it not going to be our responsibility <laughs> exactly or then if you have a couple if you have a like heterosexual couple and the the man is not an athlete then he can take those risks. <laughs> you know, yeah, like. yeah, yeah, exactly. It would be nice to, to be like a, yeah, like a co-decision rather than just always having just to rely like, on, on the women. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, that would be nice. Is there anything in sort of re either at the conference or in recent studies that have surprised you a little bit about the, you know, about female athlete performance? Um. I mean, it always surprises me how little we know. <laughs> it's really depressing, Fair. isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, and I think it's because, you know, something like the menstrual cycle is is so intriguing. And we we always kind of create more questions than we answer when even when we study it. Um, so that's always, you know, kind of a sad surprise. Um and I think one of the things that I took home from this conference, um, and it's not necessarily to do with female athlete health, but it's to do with being a woman in sport, was um, the prevalence of physical and emotional abuse still in sport. So we at the conference, there was someone from Safe Sport, which in the US is kind of your way of trying to manage uh, abuse in sport. And it's amazing because, you know, you've had some really brilliant strategic investment into that in the wake of the gymnastics um Larry Nassar scandal um and they were saying they had 150 reports per week since the week they opened right through to the present day um That's and the crazy. role that, yeah isn't yeah. it yeah it's like so surprising actually yeah I, I I was really surprised by the numbers um and also how important the parents were in that mm. you know sort of that process of disclosure but also like um holding a mirror up um as a 
as a parent and saying like what am I prioritizing here um am I prioritizing my daughter or am I like as in my daughter and her safety or am I trying like you know trying to pursue my daughter's dream and just kind of like having a blind eye to some of the stuff that's going on and just those stories that were being told in that session were were really uh, yeah just kind of got to me because if sport isn't safe then you know it doesn't matter how much research we generate around female athlete health like the bottom line is women aren't safe there so for me that was that was really shocking and and yeah there is brilliant work being done about it but I think um we have got a lot of um work to do to undo Mm-hmm. what sport has become for girls and women which is is kind of is kind of sad um I, is a positive direction for sure and brilliant to see actual resource rather than just lip surface going into that yeah yeah it's I, I one thing I was struck by from the conference was how the recognition a little bit that everything is kind of interconnected like the issues with safe sport and which like feeds into like almost like an institutionalized sexism in sports mm-hmm. that we you know like we know that Sport was kind of made by men for men, and we're trying to add women in and, and figure out how to be fair, you know, and, and everything kind of comes from that same, is like in that same, I, I don't know what you call it, like bubble, right? So like the reasons, for example, why like make like more women are getting ACL tears in team sports, right? Is like, we used to think, oh, well, women just get injured more, right? And that's like, well, wait a second. They have worse, you know, they have they don't have as many doctors on the pitch when they're playing. They're more likely to be put back out on the field right away instead of dealing with the injury or the concussion or whatever it is. And so like all of these things play, it's not necessarily something about female physiology that makes us worse at, <laughs> at recovering from an injury. So yeah. I think there was this recognition that I really appreciated that, all of these things are ultimately interconnected and that girls and women being safe in sport and also having more information about how to um, perform or optimize performance are all related. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I, um, a couple of years ago, I tried to kind of capture that in a, in an ecosystems model and kind of in the middle I had, well, I had the athlete, but I, I was like, even when you're talking about menstrual cycles or breast health or pelvic health or nutrition, like there are ecosystems around all of those topics, which are so important, like the attitudes and beliefs of the coach, like the attitudes and beliefs of your culture, your society, your parents, like even your ability to set to track your menstrual cycle and say the word period is influenced by things that aren't related to the menstrual cycle. And then, you know, the ecosystems kind of go out to this more broad ecosystem, which is that society isn't yet equal, that women have only been in sport for a smaller fraction of time, you know, than the men have been here, um, and that we don't have enough women on boards of sport, in governance of sport. And all of those things feed, you know, kind of influence, don't they? And I think that you're right, that was really there's a realization now that we can't stay in silos and that you can't just, you know, even if you're a physiologist examining the, you know, physiology of the menstrual cycle, if you want to be a really impactful physiologist in the sports science world, you have to consider what is going to influence the ability of that to be integrated into sport. And often it's not that the coach doesn't understand physiology. It's like there, like you say, there is a lot of men in that space who don't even you know haven't even realized that the menstrual cycle is a thing or have been you know deeply embarrassed by talking about the menstrual cycle or all these other factors um so yeah that interconnectedness for me is just fascinating because it's what will help us bring this stuff to life in the end if we get if we kind of understand those connections yeah and the speed of change right now is just incredible right um i i want to talk a bit about the well hq and find out like how how it's yours it's yourself Bella and Baz, how did you three meet and come together and see the need to create the resources that you're creating? Yeah, thank you for asking. Um, so as I say, I was working in Olympic and Paralympic sport and um, I, I'd i been an academic before. And then just after 2012, I'd, I'd been asked to go and head up the physiology team at the EIS, the English Institute of Sport. Um which was a really exciting move for me, especially in the UK, just after London Olympics, you know, our high performance system was like just in overdrive. Um, and we've been set this really ambitious target to beat our medal tally in Rio. And so it was it's just a great place, really challenging. Um, and that's where I first learned almost about these interconnections, not specifically around female health, but I came from as an academic going, oh, like we could do all this cool science with these sports people. 
and realizing just to get them to do the basics really well was really difficult and like I remember we were just doing this project on on a warm up um, with track cycling and kind of saying, well, we, I think we could improve peak power off the line if we in, included some of this high intensity work in the warm up. And we were all very excited with the data. And we went to kind of the coaches and the coaches like, I've been warming up the same way for 20 years. Like, that's never going to change. And we oh, were like, yeah. oh, and eventually, <laughs> you know, we did. But we realized then it was about behavior change and influence and relationships and not about the science. So I kind of learned my lessons along the way. And then um, after 2016 Olympics, we had this debrief from Rio and and kind of like preparing for the journey to Tokyo. And I kind of at the time raised a question about how well do we support our female athletes? I kind of had been in the system then for four or five years and had never never heard anyone talk about periods, menstrual cycles, sports bras. And I'd heard lots of people talking about priming and testosterone and cortisol, you know, like hormones. And and I just hadn't heard anything about anything about being female. So I asked the question and people were like, oh, we probably do talk about it. But I was, you know, kind of given um, kind of the, given the sort of opportunity to go and investigate whether whether we were doing a good job. And I spent six months just talking to people, talking to coaches and athletes and saying, you know, like, do we think we really acknowledge the female part of female athletes as well as as just them being athletes? And ultimately, the answer was no. And the answer was, oh, gosh, should we like we have literally no idea. So then we thought, well, because people didn't even know what they didn't know, we'll start off by educating. That felt like a really good space to start because we kind of thought, well, we could get we could invest some money in research. but we have got people here who don't even yeah like have conversations about periods or anything and 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 don't even know why it's important so why don't we start there so I started educating and I just I realized there was this huge gap and along the way I realized that it you know I think we often get sort of focused on menstrual cycle but that there was all these extraordinarily interesting topics to do with being a female in sport that either happened only in female bodies or differently in female bodies and that actually educating everyone on the breadth of what it means to be a female in sport and as you say trying to make the connections between what that looks like in real life so I I thought I'd do like a year of education before we went to the next level but four years later I was still educating right um yeah because the need was so great and and so I was like you know what um this is this is brilliant like I really love this I kind of felt like I'd found something for me that that really lit me up so in 2020 I moved out of that role because I wanted to broaden the reach of of the work um I knew that I was only hitting Olympic and Paralympic sports at the highest level and actually they're already quite privileged athletes they have nutritionists and psychologists and physiologists and there's like a ton of people from you know podium potential right through to grassroots sport college athletes high school um student athletes who need support and need information um so I kind of stepped out of that role with that in mind. And along the way, I'd met Baz. She's a former GB rower. And she had been doing women's kind of women's health coaching, um, particularly with a focus on pelvic floor health um, in London. And she wanted to broaden the reach of her work because what she was finding was that pelvic health and pelvic floor work wasn't just a postnatal thing. And that it was, you know, important for women across their life and was, you know, dysfunction was prevalent even in young athletic girls. So she kind of had the same mission as me to broaden the reach and she had also been working with Dr Bella more recently um on talking to women about the menopause and staying active through the menopause because Dr Bella is a GP but she has specialist training in women's health and the menopause so we kind of serendipity really brought us together and that we were all on a similar mission came came and didn't know each other at all and I'm like well I've just quit my job to try and do this uh, and Baz was like yeah I want to do this you know like what we'll broaden our reach and Bella was like oh this would be amazing so yeah we said come let's do something um and that's kind of where the well started we knew we wanted to fill that gap of of connecting research into practice we didn't really know what it would look like we started writing a book because we knew there needed to be a book we just didn't have anywhere to send people but over the course of the last three years we've I guess we've kind of worked um to create our own resources online so whether that's um the free stuff that's on our website or courses that people can come on to to learn about coaching girls and women or the work we've done with sports so we've worked with England netball which is uh, a sport a bit like basketball here in the UK um and really helped them strategically change their approach to women's health across the board um 
they are a, a sport where they have girls who are as young as eight right through to women who are you know in their 80s playing and so actually it was a great a great sport to be able to say let's understand life stages let's get coaches really educated on menopause on puberty on postnatal so we've worked a lot with them and then we've just started some work well we did a big project with the FA last year about football what it's like to be a woman in football and how well you're supported as a female and now from the findings of that we're, we're rolling out training and so we kind of yeah we we fill that space around coach education but we also we want to hold sports to account so this is not a one and done situation this is not about a one hour webinar this is right like yeah how do you embed this stuff so as we have done with mental health in sport and, we, and we, it's an ongoing journey but we have said that like this needs to be integrated and just part and parcel of how we create the environment, how we coach. And that's what we need with female athlete health. Um, and that's going to take time and it's going to take a commitment from sports to kind of really commit to it, to say from grassroots to participation, coaches who are coaching women need to know about women. So yeah, that's our mission. <laughs> that's amazing. It's funny because like I used to, as an elite athlete, like I used to make a joke that like I got all my female health information like through oral tradition <laughs> you know like because I, I also studied ancient history so I'm aware that like that's how like women pass information and like we're still getting information from oral tradition literally like yeah the, the women who were pro triathletes and the generation ahead of me told me how they dealt with yeah. menstrual symptoms how they dealt with contraceptives etc right or how they chose their bike saddle <laughs> to make sure that they weren't crushing their bits right like so like all of those things weren't part of like the coach, the structure of, of whatever we, however we were supported as elite athletes. Yeah. Right. So like seeing all that change, like now on the flip side, now running, you know, running a media and education company around all of that stuff. Now I have coaches coming to us and saying like, how do I, how do I get educated on this stuff? It's like a complete reversal. Um, So it's so cool to see. Uh, but you guys wrote a book called The Female Body Bible recently. It was launched recently, right? Yeah, we just launched it maybe a month ago. Right. And how's it been received? So, I mean, so, so good. Like when you, we worked really hard on it and we were going to self-publish publish it because we're like we're just going to kind of launch it into our world and that's all you want to do we want everyone in our world to know this and then um a an agent kind of um was on one of our webinars I think and, and we were kind of talking about it and she said please can you let please let me pitch it to a couple of publishing houses because I think like there's a gap for this and um so she did and in the end we um we were signed by Penguin which was amazing Penguin Random House um and it allowed us to go through this kind of really cool publishing process which she's never done but and also really helped us make the book applicable not just I think we'd come in with kind of an athlete perspective but now this is like the whole the whole point of the book is anyone who wants to be active to not let their body hold them back so as a female so you know we talk about the menstrual cycle we talk about sports bras talk about pelvic health and these are all things we know are barriers to perform to participation and then also have an impact on performance so we kind of broadened the our kind of narrative I guess to to reach anyone who wanted to be active as a female um and then we put it into the world and that's the scariest moment because you're like oh god someone's going to read it and go what is this um <laughs> and, and then we're, all of our dreams have come crashing down but no, we work really hard on it. It's a really evidence-based book. It's got a ton of references in, but we have tried to make the actual book itself really accessible and engaging because, you know, like we know we're busy people. We we want to kind of dip into books, learn some stuff, not have to decipher it and translate it, but know and trust that, you know, trust that it's credible. Um, and everyone has been super positive. And we've, the, the nicest thing is that we've had teachers, you know, P teachers who have, you know, messaged us and say they've got it coaches dads mums um so it's really kind of gone far away. and that's what we wanted it's about women but it's not exclusively for women although it's kind of written for females um we do want men to pick it up and we do want male coaches to pick it up and just like really open their eyes to some of this stuff and I think you know the the I think we've had I don't read the reviews <laughs> Sarah but um my Bella <laughs> likes to have a little look occasionally and mm -hmm. and we've had really positive reviews and there's been a couple of negative ones that's they've really stuck out and we're like oh gosh and I think one was like oh you know it's kind of just sounds too popularized and I was like you know you, you kind of reflect and I'm like no I'm really happy with how how we've written it I don't have you read it I have not I know so I, I was going to ask your opinion but I I think from what we've heard people it's really landing 
like you know in a way that feels weighty enough to like be meaningful but um but not so heavy that it's like really hard to plow through so we kind of like okay that's the sense check there and another person was listening to the audiobook and they're like oh it hasn't got any references and I'm like oh no how do you how do you know on an audiobook actually where the references oh, are so yeah. Yeah, that's one of the things we're really proud of is that it has tons of references. So if you're that person who likes to go and delve into the actual original research, you can. But equally, you do not have to because we know that that is sometimes like not what everyone has time for. So we have been delighted and and kind of we just want it to kind of be an evergreen book. We want to go back to it each year and make sure it's current. And hopefully that will like that will give us a real barometer of how we're progressing. Um, and we'd love for it a bit like you were saying, kind of that, you know, like you're passing down information from generations of athletes down. To, we want this to be passed on from like a mum to her daughter mm. and, and down generations because we wrote it because there is no one telling us about our bodies in the context of, of physical activity and sport so you know we do learn a little bit nowhere near enough about our bodies as women but like when we come to moving them and wanting to get the most out of them like that presents loads more challenges and you're like oh, okay what do I do now yeah well that was actually another interesting moment for me at the conference where just looking at um, I think it was Kirsty Elliott sale pointing out that like most of the research had been done on the effects of exercise on the menstrual cycle as opposed to the opposite way and like now we're and like just what you're saying right there is like now we're like centering performance like how do we like how do we move and do all the things we want to do in the world um the best way possible as women you know yeah exactly exactly and, and and the book kind of covers all of the topics so like I said like you'd be so amazed at, at how many women don't do in exercise because of their breast size for example and you're like for me you're like at the, in this day and age that should not be an issue because how much technology and money goes into um innovation in big brands for sports bras why we, why is that connection not being made? why do women not find what they need and mostly it's because, A, they don't know what's out there and how to get the right solution. And they just, as women, we're terrible at normalizing things that aren't normal. So I was exactly guilty of that. I like started marathon running when I was in my early 20s. And I paid so much attention to the shoes that I wore because, you know, blisters are, as we all know, just the worst thing to have. So I went through kind of three or four brands till I found, you know, the one that really suited my feet, my running style. Yeah, I was wearing two sports bras, chafing my skin, mm. having to wear blister plasters under my bra and thinking that was normal. So, oh, and then, you know, working with a, a research group on breast movement, breast biomechanics and, and learning all we know about, about the breast in sport. And I was like, how many women are just putting up with that stuff? Whereas actually there is there are solutions yeah, it's so interesting. I know so many people who wear, even myself, and I have like, I don't have big breasts, but like wearing two sports bras, even at like certain times of the month, too. Cause like yes. when you want, when it's painful and you want yes. zero bounce, right? Uh -huh. Like, but wearing yeah. two sports bras was kind of like a normal thing, which sounds, yeah, just like We've you said, like we, like we normalized yeah, it. Yeah. Whereas, you know, like there are amazing sports bras that the like you just need one. Like that's the whole right. point. It's like wearing two pairs of leggings. Like I don't know why you would, but you, you, it just feels weird. So why why do we do it for sports bras? But yeah. Um, and so yeah, that's this is kind of like it's not rocket science, but it's sort of information that has been disconnected from us as women. Um, and yeah, we just want to put it in the hands of as many women as we can so that. Mm -hmm. You know, I always say like, um, because I think when I went into sport and started talking about the female body, because women in sport have been trying so hard to get equality, um, same pay as men, same media exposure, same access to facilities and coaching, you know, same respect, same value, same prioritization. They were like, Emma, don't come in here and, and like remind everyone that we're female. And there's all these parts of us like boobs and menstrual cycles to worry about. And I, and, it, and because they were worried that it was seen as a fragility. And I was like, the fragility is in the system, which has not educated you about your bodies. The fragility is not in your body. Your body is freaking amazing, like incredible. But the fragility is in a system which has just completely overlooked the fact that you need to know about sports bras and menstrual cycles and pelvic health and just yeah. kind of allowed you to crack on and, and try anyway. So, yeah, so that's for me, that's like so important that we celebrate this female body um, and we do that by understanding it better.
That's a such a great point, you know, because I I that's what I keep thinking about like my generation of athletes is that like we just like put our head down and got on with it and didn't think about these things, which is like in yeah. some ways it's good. It teaches you mental toughness, but like how much more could we have got out of our bodies if we'd really just taken a minute to think about it or we'd known to track our cycles or whatever the thing or to buy the right sports bra, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And Baz, Baz was the same. She was a, you know, elite athlete in a system that she, she will always say she was kind of like, she was in the women's eight and she was always like the last seat in the boat. So she was just good enough to be on that team, which is incredible, but she was always like on the border. And she was like, as if I would have said, oh, like I have period pain. Right. That would have been the first thing they're like, okay, well, you're definitely out of the seat. Right. And, and yeah. again, that's really important that we have that conversation. And, and like I always bring that up, it, it is particularly in sports. Like we, we also have to accept that this requires some compassion. So instead of someone going, oh God, okay, well, you're clearly not going to make it. It's like, if they had anything else, like if they were your star player, but they had this weird shoulder thing, you know, you would be working hard with the physio and the osteopath and the chiropractor and the taping and the pills and, and the injections to make that shoulder right, because that's what's going to help them get the most out of themselves. But if it's anything female, it just doesn't feel like we can bring right. it. Um, mm-hmm. So that we again, and we have to change the culture of sport to allow that to happen. Yeah, amazing. Um, okay, where can we buy the book? So the book is available on Amazon. Um, so we made it into an Amazon bestseller list. Um, we made oh, it to wow. the Sunday Times bestseller. Yeah, Yay. we made it onto the Sunday Times bestseller list, which is amazing. So yeah, we'd love for people to go out and buy it and 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 uh, equally tell us what you think um, because we'd love to hear back. So we're gonna we've got a paperback copy coming out next year, and we can input into that some new stuff. So yeah, please feedback to us. Wow, that's fantastic! Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, and then the Well HQ, where do we find the resources online that you have created? So we have a website, the well-hq.com. And yeah, please go there because we have blogs and articles on lots of lots of these topics um, and life stages like puberty and menopause. We also just launched netballher.co.uk. And now it doesn't matter if you don't play netball. If you kind of ignore the pictures are all of netballers, there's some amazing resources. We've got infographics mm. that you can kind of download and print. If you're a, a coach or an athlete who you want to put some information up on your notice board, um, we've got some posters there. So netballher.co.uk is also another great place to go. And then you can find us on the socials. Um, the well-hq is kind of where you'll find us. Uh, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Cool. Amazing. Well, thank you so, so much. This has been such a fun conversation. Thank you for letting and... me ramble on, Sarah. Yeah, thank no. you. It's been wonderful. <laughs> it's always lovely to be able to chat about the things like this. Yeah. For sure. And thanks for all the work that you do. And to you. Thank you. And it was so good to meet you in person. Yes. Likewise. Yeah. Building muscle can be tough and gains can be so slow, even for those of us who do a lot of strength training. As an ex-endurance athlete who is now in perimenopause, I know this all too well. It can be frustrating to put in the time in the gym and not see the results I'm looking for. That's why it's super important to take the right supplements at the right time. One of those supplements is essential amino acids, which are needed to trigger muscle protein synthesis. Muscle protein synthesis happens when you eat high quality protein, like eggs or whey. And by supplementing with additional essential amino acids, you can make sure you are getting the full benefit of your training sessions. Targeted essential amino acid formulas can be up to four times more effective than just eating protein. I've been taking amino acids for almost a year, and in combination with eating quality protein and a couple other supplements, I have managed to turn the tides on age-related muscle loss, which starts at 30 for women, by the way, and I have continued to make strength gains as I head towards 50. AminoCo has been a longtime sponsor of Feisty Media and has supported all of our brands and podcasts over the years. I recommend starting with AminoCo Perform, and you can grab some at aminoco.com forward slash performance. If you enter the code performance, you will save 30% and receive a free gift if it is your first purchase. 
give it a try and let me know how it goes. That's aminoco.com forward slash performance and use the code performance to save 30%. As we head into summer, rest and recovery are critical for improving sports performance, reducing stress, and living a long and healthy life. We should all invest in better sleep. So think about the thing you lay your head on for eight hours a night. If it's not exactly right for you, it can lead to needless tossing and turning, or worse, have you waking up with an unrelenting kink in your neck. My new Lagoon pillow has helped me improve my sleep immensely by pairing me with the performance pillow that has everything I need. So I personally was matched with the Otter pillow, shout out to Team Otter, which I love because it has a gentle cooling effect. And I was able to choose how much stuffing I wanted in it, which is super important to me because I'm doing a decent amount of CrossFit these days and my shoulders are kind of creaky. So having a pillow that is stuffed just to the right height keeps my neck and head in exactly the right position and comfortable for the entire night. And as of fall 2023, Lagoon launched their 100% mulberry silk pillowcases. It's cool to the touch, buttery soft, and great for your skin and hair. You've got to go check out this pillowcase if you want to feel great and look great every morning. Waking up for morning workouts has never felt better. I'm refreshed and pain-free thanks to my Lagoon pillow. To check it out for yourself, go to lagoonsleep.com forward slash performance and take the two-minute sleep quiz to find your perfect pillow match and then use the code PERFORMANCE for 15% off your first purchase. That's code PERFORMANCE at lagoonsleep.com forward slash performance, whole 15% off, and the link is in the show notes. You can just click through there.